0: Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year Internet security veteran. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about some people that are safe uh, from the Internet because they're not on the Internet. We are going to discuss the digital divide. And while uh, if you're listening via iHeartRadio streaming app, you uh, have the Internet on your cell phone or you have the Internet on your computer to listen to that. If you are listening to us on 1200WAI, you may just have an AM radio. You may not have the Internet, and that's why you're listening to the radio at 11 p.m. on a Saturday night. Uh, or you're in your car and out and about. If you uh, aren't going to be able to stick with us for the hour and you do want to learn more about this, uh, up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. It will be there on Tuesday, October the 29th. Uh, It will go up along with all of our uh, other past episodes. If you don't have the internet at your house, Uh, The internet is available in, uh, I believe, every single uh, San Antonio City Library branch at this point. Um, Certainly, at the downtown library, there's a near uh, our studio. There's a whole big computer bank of terminals. Those are available to everyone. Just go in, get a library card. uh, You can listen and get access to the internet. Because, uh, as uh, my guest and I will discuss today, uh, life without the internet these days is a difficult thing, Um, and it impacts kids. It impacts adults. It impacts economic mobility. Uh, and, uh, so with that, I will, uh, lead in and introduce, uh, Jordana Barton, who's a senior advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas in the San Antonio branch. And, uh, Jordana, we're going to go through for just our, our listeners here first, um, explain, um, what the Federal Reserve Bank is, what the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and kind of how do you get into talking about the digital divide?
1: Thank you, uh, for having me and, um, uh, at the Federal Reserve, um, many people know that we're responsible for monetary policy, uh, for stable prices, and maximum employment, for regulating banks, and keeping a safe and sound financial system. One of the ways that we do that is really uh, focusing in on the microeconomy. And we do that through our community development work. And that's that's where I fit in the Federal Reserve. Um, I work in, in the area of small business development, affordable housing, um, ac- access to financial services, workforce development, uh, and so forth. And um, I work to help uh, financial institutions implement the Community Reinvestment Act. So it, it's, a, it's a, a federal law that um, um, guides banks in investing in low and moderate income communities where, where they exist. Um, so, um, and that, that work, uh, led me directly to, to the work on uh, the digital divide and what it means to our communities.
0: Yeah. So how did you find your way career wise to the, the Federal Reserve Bank? Did you grow up as a kid, um, believing you were going to work and research for the, the Fed?
1: <laughs> I grew up in, in rural South Texas, um, a small town, uh, called Benavides and, um, and I, I, di- I was very patriotic, I would say. I, I collected, uh, there was a little store down the street called Lucinda's. And uh, it was a little um, store that was part of their house. And the front part was the store. It's very common in small towns in, in Texas. And I, I used to collect all the, um, the Looney Tune founding father folders uh, to take to school. So I have been an admirer of Hamilton since I was a kid. Uh, But I did not know that I would end up at the Federal Reserve. He was so critical in starting the Federal Reserve. Um, But um, now that I'm here, I see the logical um, progression of my career. So I went from uh, being a public school teacher um, to higher education uh, and Latino studies, uh, Mexican-American studies uh, at UT Austin. And then... um, and then that led me into finance uh, as I started understanding I created a program uh, with a colleague called the Latino Financial Issues Program I started learning about finances I brought in uh, people in that area to the class to teach uh, and to uh, to also serve as mentors for students and uh, serve in internships so that they could serve in internships with experiential based learning uh, and so I, I I myself started uh, to become uh, I, I gained some background in graduate school uh, in in finance and community development finance in particular, and um, the rest is history. I, I worked yeah. in microfinance and then in, in banking and now at the Federal Reserve.
0: So, yeah, no, it's uh, always interesting for uh, many of our listeners to hear kind of the the story arc of how did uh, the people uh, get to the point where you're on the radio talking about a, a topic like this for an hour, uh, and I think uh, appreciate um, our guests as they share those stories because uh, we have uh, many high school students uh, that listen. We, we talk cybersecurity nerdy stuff most of the time, so a lot of the cyber patriot kids that – uh are um, participating in the cybersecurity team sport will uh, listen v- likely via podcast uh, maybe they're up at 11 o'clock on Saturday night streaming but most teenagers don't listen to am radio these days but um, this is why the internet is an important thing
1: so. <laughs> and and that that's a, that's a great demographic to, to capture because um, what I have found from my research, I do mixed method research for the Federal Reserve, quantitative and qualitative. So I look at major data sets like the census and, and others, right? But I also um, interview uh, communities so that I can really understand what's going on and really have a, a more clear picture. Uh, interview uh, community leaders and residents and, and so forth to inform, inform the work. But um, everything that I have learned from that uh, which brought me to this subject is telling me that those young people are going to be critical in this, and that that we're not preparing people um, well for being great digital citizens and being being uh, active participants in the digital economy, and so that that's the heart and the, the of, of this work is that we have moved in in our society from an analog economy to a digital economy. Yeah. Yet not everybody has access and it goes back to the the how we have made policy in this area of telecommunications and and but the amazing thing too right I I discovered by talking to people here in San Antonio and along the border for a study that I was doing uh along the border and and um the the incredible thing that I found as well is the problem was the solution that it is solvable, and we have um, we have uh, a lot of knowledge. It's just not in the right hands yet, right? And and that's part of the digital economy. It's the the things that we need to know are different. Yeah. The, the things that I had to learn, uh, I I started learning from uh, utility lawyers and engineers. Those were the people I spent the last few years with I was in policy I knew my stuff I was educated but I needed to learn something new so that I could understand enough to make good policy to help communities which is my responsibility to have the information they need the resources as much as I can uh, or we can at the Federal Reserve um, guide resources into communities people right people that have expertise and so forth
0: yeah, so uh, and we're we're talking uh, digital divide today, and uh, uh, so uh, l- help our listeners just kind of get a, a succinct definition for that. How do you describe if somebody asks you for the that one sentence explanation? Like, what is the digital divide?
1: The digital divide is the gap between uh, people who have access to the internet and know how to use it, and those who do not.
0: So yeah, it's, a, it's there are two aspects to this, and I think we can we'll dig into to both of these a little bit. So on the on the public policy side of things, so if we rewind back a, a long while ago, everyone decided it was important for everyone to have access to a phone at their house. Mm-hmm. So we put some public policy in place that said. Phone lines need to get run everywhere, and on everyone's phone bill, one of those little surcharges that's listed somewhere in there is a—I'm a, going to call it a universal service fee. It might have—it might have some yes. other acronym to it, mm-hmm. but that's roughly what it's called. And that ensures that the phone companies run phone lines to everybody's house. But so, how did we end up in the spot where, some point, they decided phones were important, and we—we we did it there. We—we we haven't done anything for the internet. There's no universal service fee to help pay for internet service to get run to every address in the U.S.
1: Yeah. No, that's a great example of of the telephone and also electricity. We had major federal law about the rural electrification uh, program and it it included resources, right? Um, So I would say um, we're not, uh, interestingly enough, even though the advent of the commercial internet was 1995, uh, we're not quite there yet. So basically, uh, the Internet has not been labeled a common carrier. And so it's it's in a different category of telecommunications. Yeah. Um, so that's a formality that's important in the law. Uh, but also um, the. Uh, basically, um, the free market, uh, it was un- it was felt right yeah. by a lot of people that the free market would take care of it. Right. That that. um uh, uh, but it's generally seen as a luxury good. Yeah, um,
0: and when we all first started getting on the internet in 1995, we were all doing it over those phone lines that were mandated out there by the the common carrier uh, requirements. And so, if everyone was getting on the phone on the internet with a phone line, it was the same internet for everybody, whether you lived in a, a, a urban, dense, high income neighborhood or you lived in a, a rural. Um, low-income area, or you lived in a uh, urban low-income area. Everyone basically had the same access to the internet. Maybe financially, it was something that may not be enough affordable back then, um, because if you had a phone line at your house, but internet access, you used to like pay for a service like AOL by the hour. Um, America mm. Online, for those that are um, wondering what AOL is, uh, and and th- so from a, a internet access perspective, everyone had it, and but. Um, I think as we, we think about infrastructure inside of our cities now, the similar thing has happened with, with roads and freeways and traffic congestion. Certain areas have been invested in where they get more roads and better freeways and, and better access. And it, I think if for listeners out there trying to, to figure out a way to, to picture this in your head – the same thing has happened on the internet side of things there have been areas where the roads haven't been built out any bigger the roads are not getting this is what's happened on the internet and those a, a lot of the u.s your option for the internet may still be just dial-up
1: mm-hmm. well um we we have done you know better with a highway system and uh getting it getting um transportation to to all areas um it it goes back to the underlying assumption in, yeah. in, by which policy has been made, and that is that it's a luxury, not a necessity. And what we're um, saying now, many um, many leaders, and and certainly the Federal Reserve, and our our last update to the Community Reinvestment Act, is that broadband is essential infrastructure. It's like water and electricity. So things have changed. Yeah. Wherever we started. It's kind of irrelevant now, except that we need to understand it very well. Um, but uh, things have changed. Now it's, it's a necessity. So that that is a different uh, assumption. And that will involve a public policy. It will involve local governments who have a right and responsibility uh, for their citizens and, and uh, delivering services. Um, so, so it, it it's, uh, that was the first step, right? And, uh, the Federal Reserve and, and other, the Department of Commerce and, and, uh, the previous administration, you know, all recognize that this was, um, uh, essential infrastructure and that, that things have changed. And, uh, and what we've done, uh, at the Federal Reserve and the OCC and the FDIC is incorporated into the Community Reinvestment Act because, um, for example, as I looked at it on the border, we were we were uh, about to be looking at the CRA, and at the same time, I was interviewing families, and they were talking to me about the homework gap that their yeah. kids couldn't do their homework at home, and it was really impacting their education and teachers who were couldn't assign certain assignments uh, for to prepare students for the workforce for for life. Um,
0: yeah, because it, they didn't have I'm going to pause on that one just for a second. And so, But for many listeners out there, you're like, well, look, I did homework without the Internet. Like when you and I went to high school, there was no Internet. But we had different expectations from the teachers. The teachers had they would print and photocopy off things for us so that we would have materials to do the homework from. Um, they, would, they would be restricted to giving assignments just out of the textbooks. They wouldn't be able to ask students to go do research or look things up the way that – that um, schools can now if they can assume that all of the students have access to the Internet. So it's it's really fundamentally changed the uh, the way education works um, because what you and I had to learn in high school is different now when, when employers are looking at students. If they get out of high school and they don't know how to use a computer and they don't know how to use the Internet, like I have to put them through that digital divide gap training and that's going to take me 30, 60, 90 days, maybe longer, um it makes hiring that person much more difficult which leads back into your your economic piece at the the Fed on this.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. That is why it's so important to the the economic development and, yeah. and workforce development because the world has changed. We can't hark back to the past because everything has changed and we've seen it in in the transformation of industries manufacturing uh that used to be the avenue to the middle class for a lot of people. You didn't necessarily need a four year degree but you could have a good job with upward mobility. Uh, and, and indeed our traditional middle skills jobs, um, 82% of them require digital skills now. So that's uh, high level skills. Those are the middle skills jobs. Those that don't require a college degree but offer opportunities for upward mobility. And the important thing to remember there is is that we need many pathways to the middle class. Yeah, uh, we need. Um, uh, and and I give the example of my brother who who uh, dropped out of high school as a sophomore, worked in middle skills jobs, then got his GED, then uh, got went to community college and then pharmacy school and then medical school and became a surgeon. It's not that and, and he's paying. He has paid millions of dollars in taxes in his life yeah. and served in Iraq and Afghanistan as a surgeon saving um, thousands of lives. Uh, so valuable person, right? But if we had labeled him and he hadn't had those avenues, if you just in, labeled
0: him as high school dropout,
1: house, high school dropout, and yeah. and di- what's happening now uh, is a shrinking. We we talk about it. at The Federal Reserve, it's a shrinking middle class. Yeah. Um. And the the middle skills jobs are changing. Well,
0: well, yeah. The, well, the, that school. and that mobility from the bottom twenty percent up into the twenty first to fortieth percentile is. My understanding, and you, you have, I'm sure have better numbers, but I, my reading says it's, it's worse now than it ever has been as far as we can track.
1: Yes, and that's yeah. the truth. According to the um, Federal Reserve uh, Survey of Consumer Finances yeah. for the last consecutive years, uh, income and wealth inequality has gone up. Uh, and it, you're exactly right to tie it to... Um, what's happening with jobs? Yeah, uh, we have this um, rigid and shrinking middle class. You have extremes, right? Yeah. Uh, in jobs, you have job polarization, and in people's incomes. And in fact, uh, the Associated Press just released the, you know, a, a report on the on the new American Community Survey, how how income and wealth inequality is increasing. And in fact, Texas. Uh, added something like, uh, I think, according to the Center for Public Policy Priorities, 100,000 more people living in poverty, under the poverty line. So you have these extremes, and it comes directly from that the lack of pathways to the middle class. That's everything that digital inclusion is about. It's about saying, we're not going to hark to the past, right? Manufacturing has changed. it become more automated, requiring more digital skills. Um, uh, Retail has changed. Uh, with e-commerce right so all of that has changed those were those that that retail and manufacturing were the biggest creators of jobs in our country in 2017 at the very end of 2017 it's now healthcare you can imagine a service industry yeah. in, in a in a digital economy that's to be expected um but across all industries this is impacting all industries right the the um President Kaplan of the Dallas Fed talks about technology-enabled disruption, and and that's what it's about, right? It's the platform for business across industries has changed. That requires different skills. So the students that going back to the students, yeah, um, how do we uh, do all parts of this, right? So one is the skills. That, yes, they need to have ubiquitous broadband so they can do all their projects, science projects, and they're the ones that are going to create the amazing companies that are going to help us with the the biggest challenges we have, like climate change and others. Right. So how do we empower that? The. As we moved from the analog to the digital economy, we went from five uh, coaxial cable and, and copper being the backbone yeah. to fiber and and. Uh, uh, Fiber optic networks are, are going to be very critical for the the speed and capacity we're going to need for all the things that we do from education to telehealth, uh, to all the things that are promising. It promises a, a, a more efficiency and yeah. and a, a better better care, for example, and and more opportunities, right, for all socioeconomic status um uh, uh people living in all
0: socioeconomic yeah, I mean, on that that access to health one i mean so it we're we're not that far off um out there listeners from uh the the tricorder from if you go back to star trek where they would the doc would scan you with the thing
1: yeah the doc
0: won't actually have to scan you with it you'll be able to t- plug something likely into your cell phone you'll be able to scan yourself coming here um, and do some basic tests and then without having to go to the doctor's office and sit and wait in line, if you have access to high-speed internet and a modern mobile phone that you can Bluetooth one of these devices onto, you'll get instant access to go, uh, yeah, it looks like you have the flu, Go here's a prescription, go over and get a flu shot and that's a massive productivity increase versus someone who doesn't have high speed internet access access to a phone and in these new devices, they have to go sit and wait in line, maybe at an emergency room or a clinic and they lose many hours of productivity. They sit in a room. and If they do have the flu, then everyone else in the room that didn't have the flu that was there for something else now has the flu. And maybe <laughs> those people are sharing whatever they have with the person that has the flu. So now they're twice as sick. I mean, it's just, it is you, you start to work through all of these areas and where we just take technology for granted and we take some of these productivity gains for granted. Um, it, That's it's, right, yeah,
1: it's all about productivity, and, yeah and uh, if and um uh, quality of care. yeah, so i I, I did a, a, a report for the federal Reserve on uh, on access to health care in in some of the regions like the border with the 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 very big health disparities, very similar to San Antonio's challenges. Um, and showed yeah, how it' be a
0: whole separate show. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sh-
1: showed how, how effective telehealth is. And, and it's really what you got, what you, what you're talking about about the impact on the economy, it is true. Will because of the digital divide, it needs to be not only does the hospital system and, and clinics need to have the, the high speed internet, that's for sure, right? They need gigabit speed for all the things they yeah. have to do, but they need to reach people. And in the ways that you're describing, that create more effective care, uh, a continuity of care, and and so forth. So, we will limit the productivity of the healthcare industry, the biggest creators of jobs in this country, and certainly the biggest creator. Uh, of, of jobs in many cities in Texas, we did we did a study uh, uh, that came out recently and, and showed how important health healthcare was in many of our metro areas in the in the uh, 11th district. So so definitely, it it all um, it all goes down to kind of investing in in. Um, the the economy.
0: Yeah, and and so my numbers is where we're getting um, sneaking up here on our bottom of the hour break, listeners. So uh, you're listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI, I'm joined by Jordana Barton, who's a senior advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and the San Antonio branch, who studies um, all sorts of things about the digital divide and, and uh, the economy and productivity. And we're here talking today. I mean, about getting folks on the internet because I'm I'm always on my soapbox about high schools needing to have cyber patriot teams. Um, we've got um, Cyber Patriot season's just starting up here right now, and there's uh, uh, about 6,500 to maybe 7,000 Cyber Patriot teams this year, which is, is great. But there's 35,000 high schools in America, and schools can field more than one team. So not everyone even has a Cyber Patriot team yet. And, th- and the size of Cyber Patriot teams are smaller, so if you you look at the number of kids playing football – um and the number of kids uh playing cyber patriot uh it's a maybe 3 to 5% of, of population size-wise um uh, and it's gender inclusive it's uh all the competitive team sport things and it's teaching you uh, much more valuable real-world skills of uh data literacy problem solving and uh computing technology which you can't learn and you can't really be an effective cyber patriot uh teammate if you don't have access to the internet at home um uh, We're going to continue our our conversation here uh, after the break, uh, and if you're going to be able to stick with us, uh, that'll be great. If not, uh, you can check out our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, October 29th it will uh this program will go up there uh, along with uh, all the rest of our past episodes you can also find it on uh, every podcasting service uh, on the internet again sadly so for those with the digital divide uh, it's going to make life complicated if you're trying to hear it live uh, you can do it on AM radio uh but after that all of our recordings require the internet uh so uh, uh Jordan, if, if folks want to look up um Fed Research. Do you publish some of the stuff out on your websites or anywhere else where they still need to have the internet?
1: Yes, yes. It's on org. Yeah. Uh, and uh, some of the publications like Closing the Digital Divide and uh, the publications on telehealth and Preparing Workers for the Expanding Digital Economy uh, and, and a new one, new piece that's coming out on this subject um, can be found there under Community Development, under, um, under Publications. Uh, so... We hope that people access it. Um, basically, I'm, I'm writing as fast as I can, and, and the goal is, is really for communities to use the information.
0: With that, we're going to take a break here for news, traffic, and weather, and we will be right back with Cyber Talk Radio after the update. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined uh, this week by Jordana Barton, a senior advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas in the San Antonio branch. If uh, you uh, were with us for the first half of the program, uh, you know we're talking about the digital divide and the... Uh uh, economic impacts that it makes on uh, our economy if people do not have access to the internet or if they do have access and they still don't know how to use it it's not very helpful to have access to something that you don't understand so uh, you can uh, listen to the first half of the program up on our website www.cybertalkradio.com uh, on tuesday october 29th i will go up uh, with uh, all of our past episodes we've been uh, on the air for a little bit over three years now, um, covering cybersecurity, um, some public policy related to internet safety, voting security, um, all, all sorts of things in those topic areas. Uh, the reason why, uh, from a, a Cyber Talk Radio perspective, that the digital divide and, and these things are, are interesting uh, for us to get out to, to our audience, uh, I can't uh, grow the cybersecurity world uh, if folks don't have access to the internet. Uh, so if there's. Um, kids uh, out there in school that want to study and learn about cybersecurity and learn about computers. If they don't have a computer at home, they don't have the Internet at home, it's going to be very hard for them to satisfy that curiosity. And maybe there's a computer lab at school and they can hang out there a little bit. But you just start to think of all the barriers that you're putting in front of somebody to uh, explore a passion that they have um, and that many of us just out there take for granted. And uh, and Jordana, from a, a stats perspective, just to give folks... This isn't something that's like three households in San Antonio don't have internet access. This is—I I feel like it's something like ten percent of the households don't have high-speed internet access, or maybe hey, I'm sure this is why you're at the Fed. You have more accurate data than I do.
1: Yeah, and, and in fact, um, I did a ranking of cities based on the latest uh, American Community Survey, and uh, San Antonio. Uh, We—I was looking at. U.S. cities with 100,000 or more households, similar size to San Antonio, ranked by worst connected. Okay. Uh, And and unfortunately, uh, San Antonio and other uh, cities in the 11th Federal Reserve District um, fell on the bottom third. So San Antonio ranked uh, tied with Houston for uh, for number 15 as as. one of the the 15th worst connected city in the country, and it's it's all uh, based. It it, it aligns uh, directly with area median income of the cities. Yeah. So as you see how cities fall from uh, Detroit, Michigan, at that level of uh, that uh, population of uh, or household level of cities. Yeah. Uh, Detroit, Michigan, to all the way to uh, Plano, Texas, and Arlington, Virginia, and the Austins, right, who are on the other end yeah. of highly connected. Uh, and it, it's, it falls directly with area median income. So the lower the income, the, the less connectivity. So um, 38.2% of households households in San Antonio don't have uh, Internet access.
0: Okay. So that basically, I'm going to do my, my rough uh, radio host math. That sounds like one in three. Yeah. So mm-hmm. larger households may be more likely to have it, it sounds like, is the, the way the math is going to work on that.
1: Uh, higher income households higher income households <laughs> yes
0: for sure so yeah I mean this this is a big problem and and this isn't and I guess talking about San Antonio because I think a, a lot of folks feel like well it's just the country folks that don't have um, internet access but it's not just small rural towns that are getting left behind in this digital economy it's in neighborhoods inside of of our major metro areas.
1: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point and I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of people think that it's just a rural problem, which is a big problem and very important uh, problem which we can talk about, uh but it's not. Uh low-income communities across the United States, certainly in San Antonio, as we did the mapping of San Antonio, um low-income households have the least connectivity. Yeah. Uh and and um one of the reasons i knew this needed to be part of the community reinvestment act was because of that right it was it it, it was clear that it was a structural barrier to upward mobility and that it was one of those um s- structural barriers that can keep people in a cycle of poverty yeah since the internet is essential and access it, uh, is required for access to everything from what we've talked about to homework and and all of that to workforce, uh, even job applications. Uh, most of them are online and people have to be able to go online to apply for them. Uh, all all of those uh, basic you know, access to health care uh, is required in the new economy and um, and this is uh threatening and and certainly having an impact on on keeping people in a cycle of poverty.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean as you think about it if, if I'm going to go look for a house to buy, I'm going to look at the school district stuff, but there's actually a lot more flexibility with that now with in district charter programs and and charter schools and the even the the neighborhood schools everywhere are going through a ton of innovation right now. I think a lot of things are getting solved education. Um, at the the districts level, there are lots of innovation going on, and love the stuff we're seeing there. Uh, we've had folks from Cast Tech on uh, the mm-hmm. program, some of the Cyber Patriot kids, the school principals, and others uh, on this program in the past talking about those things. But I'm going to look if I'm looking at buying a house in that specific house or the neighborhood. Does it have reliable high speed internet access? If it doesn't, and I can afford to buy a house somewhere else or rent an apartment somewhere else, I'm going to do that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this also affects the the people that live in an area that do not have this it impacts the price of their house it impacts the that that equity wealth creation um, in in their property so it's not all I mean as you talk cycle of poverty and I mean I'm thinking uh where the one of the the biggest things over this last few generations have been um, people bought a home and that real estate's gone up during their life and that's really been and for many, the the biggest chunk of their retirement savings uh, was that growth in the home and the and the price and the value of the home that they own. Uh, but if they don't, if they have a home in a neighborhood that doesn't have internet, that house price is not going up.
1: Yeah, no, the, uh, people have, have looked at that and, and proven how important uh, internet access is to the price of homes. Uh, and uh, and in in fact. Um, what we're talking about is investment in neighborhoods, right? So, uh, and and we've talked about the the supply side of workforce development of the people, right? The the ways that we need to prepare people better with digital skills and the the access that they need to have. But it also impacts the demand side. Is a business gonna locate in a area of the city where there's not high-speed broadband, fiber uh, optic broadband capacity for those businesses? Not likely. We're yeah. seeing that uh, it certainly in Dallas, and S- in San Antonio, in the the areas uh, you're going to have an underinvestment because they simply uh, can't do business, right? So naturally, in Dallas, they'll go to Plano or further north, and the the south side, uh, uh, South Dallas will will be left out, and and that's jobs.
0: Yeah, that and well, and it's, it's access to services because, mm-hmm. like, I say, if I'm a a a, a, a retailer. And Mm -hmm. all of my now store designs assume that my store has access to reliable high-speed internet. Well, Mm -hmm. if it's available there affordably, then then I can look at the price of the store. If I have to run my own fiber for 8 or 10 miles or 15 miles to get it to that store location, that probably makes it a a location that's not going to be profitable to open up even – just that additional cost, you, you're going to have some demographic issues in the neighborhood itself that probably make it already harder, but you just start stacking all of these things on top of each other, mm-hmm. and I mean, the spreadsheet says, no, don't put a store there. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: right. That's right. Uh, it's profound implications for... Um uh, downward mobility, which we don't want. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, that's uh, not the direction we're trying to to take things here. So as we kind of talked about the urban and rural here a little bit, so um, San Antonio's been aware of this for a while, I think thanks to you and, and some other folks that have been doing research here. Um, I, I'm familiar with uh, SA2020. We've got some folks at my company that have volunteered to help on the website. You're on the board of SA2020?
1: Yes, yes, I am. And in fact, in... Uh, 2017, uh, SA 2020. We had our digital inclusion first digital inclusion summit here in San Antonio, and uh, we we worked with SA 2020. We formed the Digital Inclusion Alliance San Antonio, and uh, worked with SA 2020 to. To um, have digital inclusion being part of the indicators that SA 2020 uh, helps to gather and uh, review and, and analyze to see if we've we've achieved our goals in San Antonio. So so digital inclusion is a is a part of it, and um, the Digital Inclusion Alliance itself, uh, because we're made up of various organizations from different industries, from healthcare to education. SAISD we have someone uh, on on our uh, steering committee uh, and other. Uh, industry, I'm on the steering committee, uh, Google Fiber and, and uh, the housing authority and um, the um, housing um, uh, uh, organization of the city uh, and the innovation, uh, city's innovation office um, are all part of it. And we're going to be responsible for um, implementing and uh, coordinating uh, programs to close the digital divide across these industries and collecting that so that we can know where we are. For one one. One of the, the reasons we formed the Digital Inclusion Alliance was to uh, be able to see what kind of assets we have to solve this problem yeah. and, and, uh, and then um, to actually be held accountable to do so.
0: Yeah. And being an, an Internet nerd, um, I don't know how the, the city's planning from a budgeting and policy perspective. Uh, I know sidewalks are important for neighborhood, but I would figure out how to get every neighborhood high speed Internet access before I give every neighborhood sidewalks. <laughs> um, that's a one for for folks to just go decide the economic impact of that but um, as, as we kind of talk about economic impact mobility all of those sorts of things does the fed how does um, that relationship work with the fed does the fed you you collect lots of data you publish reports do you help cities counties states like from a, an advisory perspective of like here's what you should do to improve your worker productivity and improve lower your unemployment uh, do you give advice or how does that work
1: Um, We share objective information, (laughs) um, and and we are definitely doing that on this issue. I just, um, we've met with the city, the San Antonio Digital Inclusion Alliance and the the city um, in public forums and then uh, in in some specific projects uh, to address this to bring forth the best practices. So uh, I recently came back from, um, I just this week uh, was in Brownsville, uh, because when I did the ranking of cities of 50,000 or more households in the United States, Brownsville, Texas, on the border, was the least connected city. I was city. say dead last. Yeah. 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 And uh, Laredo wasn't far behind. So um, we, we've been talking to the city. They have SpaceX there. They're doing amazing work in STEM education and preparing young people. But what, what we understand is that if you don't have the infrastructure for economic development, for entrepreneurship. This is the ecosystem. Fiber is the ecosystem for entrepreneurship. The kids that are going to be creating amazing solutions and and being involved in STEM careers, they're going to need to be able to use virtual reality to hold that human heart in their hand to figure out uh, health uh, issues if they're studying if the young younger uh, students in middle school are working with the UTRGV Medical School, yeah, right in in a program they're going to need to have access to all of that, um and and people are going to be need to be connected in order to one of the things we talk about in and the border and in fact in rural areas uh, is, as well is the brain drain right yeah. young people grow up and they have to leave to get a job or start their business, um what What would stop a young person, right? if there was the infrastructure, the ecosystem for entrepreneurship, the fiber infrastructure? What would stop them from rather than starting their job, their um, business in Silicon Valley to start it on the border in a in a place that they know where if they came from there, bicultural, bilingual, you know, they could use all of their assets and their knowledge of engineering and coding yeah. and uh, and and I, I, in fact, I, I interviewed a young woman uh, that was one of the people that kind of led me into this uh, path of trying to understand the digital divide, uh, who had gone away and started her business in, in Silicon Valley. It was a, a telehealth business. She's gotten Forbes, uh, 30 under 30, real great business. But why couldn't she have it on the border? because there's not the infrastructure there and that's what I didn't understand when I was a banker a community yeah. development banker I wanted to attract industry to low income areas wait a minute yeah you're you like could how- you could do all you want and put all the money you want into it but you're not going to do it unless you build the fiber infrastructure upon which all businesses are are based and, and require for effect uh, for reaching their customer base for efficiency uh, and for the platforms for for doing business. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, absolutely. An, uh for rural communities out there that are listening to to this program, like you, you think um, we have uh, some tech companies now that are 100% remote. I'll give an example of one, a company called GitLab. They don't have a physical office. They've never had one. It's a 100% remote company. But if you wanted people to work for that company to live in your city, if you don't have high-speed reliable broadband, they can't live there. They need to be able to video conference with their coworkers. They need to be able to connect to online digital tools. They're selling software to people. Um, and and so you even if someone wanted to move back and live in your city, if, if they don't have that access uh, to be digitally online and connected to the global economy they have to leave your city yeah Um, and they how or they have to leave your neighborhood inside the city um, and which continues that cycle of of poverty of you're creating yet another barrier another virtual wall that people have to climb over in order to get to the economic mobility
1: yeah and and you know you asked about us uh, how we help uh, cities and uh, you know, for all size cities, right, to address this. Well, we we definitely go in, meet with them, uh, share the best practices about what their options are based on state law, what their options are for municipal broadband, for public-private partnerships, and so forth. And then um, working with, under the Community Reinvestment Act, how to attract investors, what does the capital stack look like to fund it so that it it uh, you can uh, charge, you know, that... That uh, either companies can charge the amount that matches the family household balance sheet yep. of those communities, uh, or the, the if it's a city provided service, how does how do you get to that number that's right? Well, that's where community development finance comes in, and the Community Reinvestment Act is is part of that, right? About how how do you bring in federal grants and f- bank financing and and other philanthropic dollars. And, you know, so we're seeing now that we've been working on this a little bit, these incredible capital stacks, right? Where nobody has to take too much of the risk, but you get the outcome for the people yeah. that you need. You're investing in your people. So so we bring forth all those options so that how how can everybody know all of that at one time, right? So we try to put it in a succinct way and provide uh, communities with the best examples and that's what's helping them the most is okay who has done this what does it look like how do we do it and then we mobilize together we're, we're part of the team um certainly not leading the team the local governments are are where where you have a lot of the authority and the um they own the rights of way and the polls <laughs> it makes sense right just like For the rural areas, rural co-ops are going to be very important because they own the polls and they own the rights of way. So, So we're just needing to be smarter about how we're financing these deals, using all the tools that we have, new market tax credits and community development finance tools that we have, and creating new ones where we don't have them. Do we need to have a state broadband fund like we do in some other areas of community development?
0: Yeah, I mean, as, as I think there's the, the Texas Enterprise Fund that, that does uh, investments in grants and in, in businesses, incentives, and the rest of these, it yeah, sure feels like that Texas Enterprise Fund. Someone could put together some unbiased analysis that shows uh, connecting houses to the Internet is likely maybe their best return on investment. Yeah, and, yeah. and,
1: and we're trying to show as much as we can the return on investment. Yeah. And, and other uh, Amazon and... Um and, uh, the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce did a study showing the huge impact. If you invest in, and this was about rural, yeah. but we have likewise uh, similar in, in, cities with, with the, um, Microsoft study. But if, if you invest in, in rural and close the digital divide, the huge return on investment for, for the, the GDP and the economy of the whole state, yeah. uh, in and, and Texas was the state that stands to gain the most uh, in, in GDP annually. Yeah. So the the thing about yeah. So there,
0: Texas Enterprise Fund. Whoever at the state up there in Austin works on that, runs that. Um, <laughs> start running some spreadsheets and figure out how to deploy that to uh, biggest gain. Uh, yeah. Connect <laughs> yeah. everybody to the internet.
1: No, we have some great assets like like the fund and and also in the NAD Bank, the North American Development Bank, is responsible for infrastructure on both sides of the border. Yeah. Um, what it. This is essential infrastructure now. How can we you know, update that? Or what opportunities are there? Uh, so we have, we have certain great tools. We just need to guide them uh, into, into these efforts. And, and at the federal level, they've changed the new market tax credit uh, financing to include broadband, opportunity zones, include yeah. broadband as an uh, area of investment um, and so forth. So, so uh, uh, it's, it's about both, right? Helping communities know... Um, how to, you know, how to develop their digital inclusion plans, do a strategic engineering uh, study and the assessment of their community, uh, all the things that will give them the, the, and the, finan- the financials about what it's going to cost yeah. to be able to go for financing, to, to write your grants. A lot of what I write is so that I want communities uh, from local governments to nonprofits and so yeah. forth that are all partners to be able to write grants and use all this data to make their case and the fact is like you you basically alluded to at the beginning communities will not survive uh if they do not invest in fiber yeah uh it, it it's not it's do or die <laughs> you know so so how can we help them right just like we want to help citizens become great digital citizens and protect have safety and security and all that training that that people need we want uh, we want communities likewise to know how to solve it. And that was the thing that was most exciting for me in this work was that there is a solution. There are solutions, right? And they're actually doable and cost effective. And, and like you've alluded to, the, the return on investment we're, we're yeah. showing is, is very high and very, um, makes it, Makes sense.
0: Yeah, for for sure. And for those uh, out there uh, thinking, well, five G is going to solve all of this, and like as soon as we have five G, then everyone can have high speed at their house, and it's all done. In order for five G to work, you actually need to have fiber to the cell tower. Um, You need to have a whole bunch of fiber, so it doesn't solve running fiber in the city, or uh, it does solve running fiber potentially to the last mile to each house. It may make some projects more affordable than they are right now, uh, but you still have to have poles and easements and right-of-way and fiber um, out to each of these towers and these nodes so that you can um, provide enough backhaul bandwidth. If you think about the Internet, it's just like water pipes. Um, There's only so much data that can flow over it, so um, you can't just all of a sudden flip on 5G and say that every house is going to have gigabit Internet speeds because um, you'll over flood that tower unless that tower's got a gigantic bundle of fiber into it, um, and and some of these towers don't have much at all. There's not a lot run there. Um, there is as you get out on rural um, broadband, if you're on your cell phone, if you're out driving across West Texas, um, there's a lot of times you can barely check your email, let alone to try to stream video or something else. And in this goes back to as I was talking, like you can't. Be a a worker there because if I need to be able to video conference other employees, it's not just about basic Internet access anymore. It's the expectation. Or if if you wanted to learn something from a, a job training perspective, there's tons of videos out there for you to watch to learn these things. But if you can't watch video... Like, the internet is not just dial-up speed. It's not just email. It's not even low-speed DSL at this point. Like, the stuff we used to call broadband is not effective and efficient for uh, people to be able to learn and to be able to do all of the commerce that they need online now.
1: Yeah, fiber is considered... uh future proof uh, yeah. because of its expandable capacity right and like you said 99% of wireless networks are fiber infrastructure so it's not like it's one oh why don't we just solve it with with wireless with wireless solutions um, so that's important and 5g certainly uh, is going to be is important uh, that's being tested right now it's not even uh, in full implementation we don't know uh, but you know offer uh, promising gigabit speed, uh, but it's it's very it's more expensive to deploy because of the way it has to be so close in such close proximity. and then there there are challenges with um, uh, barrier physical barriers like buildings and so forth getting in the way of the the signal. So there are a lot of challenges yet and it's not going to close the digital divide because it's more expensive. and the yeah. digital divide is really about, affordability, right? Um, can, can people afford the monthly service? So it, it, it's about infrastructure. It's the three legs of the stool we talk about. Infrastructure and then access and affordability, including the service And the computers and then the training and technical assistance uh the training that we've talked about digital skills so um no that's that's very important for people to know because people are carrying around the the smartphone and and think that it's you know working by itself but it's just looking for the first uh, tower and the first uh, fiber uh to be able to connect and and the closer it is the closer in proximity the better the the speed and capacity
0: yeah you're listening to 1200WAI, and this has been CyberTalk Radio. I've been uh, joined this week uh, by Jordana Barton. We've been talking all about the digital divide, a bunch of data that she uh, has uh, at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and the San Antonio branch. I guess that on the website, it's just the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, so you're, lo- you're office out of here. But if they go to dallas.fed.org.
1: Dallas Fed.
0: Oh, Dallas Fed.
1: Like Dallas, D A L L A S F E D
0: org Dot org. Mm -hmm. and then uh, community development and then you can look up and see some of the research there Uh, if you want to learn more about our program www.cybertalkradio.com and uh, we will uh, be back uh, with you uh, next Saturday to talk about some more interesting things and we'll be on the internet and podcasting services 24-7